Welcome to Film Studies Bling Bling. My Bling of the Month in this episode is Oliver Hanley, a colleague of mine who shared an office with me for several years. We talked about his work as a film historian, about film heritage and a current film series that can be seen in Potsdam. In the news today, I would like to draw attention to a new study by the USC Annenberg Inclusion Initiative. And the Dear Diary is about a special kind of research at the beginning of my research project. So to say, the research you have to conduct before research. Now let's hear my conversation with Oliver. Hello, Oliver. Hi, Anna-Luise. Thanks for joining me. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Sure. Thanks for having me here. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Oliver Hanley. I'm a colleague of Anna-Luise Kisses here at the Film University Babelsberg, um, working uh, for the uh, MA Film Heritage Program here. I have a background in film studies myself. I study film at the University of Kent in Canterbury before specializing in moving image preservation at the University of Amsterdam. And I worked for a good eight years at various film heritage institutions in German-speaking territories before I started here in December 19, uh, 2016. Thank you. Um, aside from the fact that you're a very friendly person and a great colleague, Oliver, uh, what I really admire about you is that you're really tired Nicely making sure that the public gets in contact to film history, be it by being responsible for DVD editions of um, heritage films, um, be it by organizing formats for the Home Movie Day or the UNESCO World Audiovisual Heritage Day. My question for you is what motivates you to create public formats dedicated to film heritage again and again? Well, uh, I think the answer to that is very simple. Um, film is a medium that is uh, essentially designed to be seen, heard and experienced. And if you don't see here or experience films, then essentially they don't exist. So in my work, it's um, always been important to somehow bring the films back to the public in some way or other, be it through uh, publishing DVD editions or staging screenings in cinemas, etc., etc., etc. You get a real kick from this that you don't maybe get if you're working in an archive and maybe you've done a good job preserving a film, but if it sits on the shelf, somehow that's not the same. And I would say that you're really successful in really yeah, bringing film cultural heritage into the public. But nevertheless, let us talk about the challenges also. What, what would you say is the biggest challenge when it's about keeping alive film cultural heritage nowadays? In a sense, if you're working with the film heritage, uh, you're faced with one challenge after another. And uh, every case brings different challenges or has a... There are, you know, different factors that you have to consider. To me, the biggest problem of all when dealing with the film heritage, uh, in a way, is the film medium itself and mankind's treatment of the film medium over time. So, you know, um, Louis Lumiere, one of the fathers of uh, the cinema, uh, once said quite famously, the cinema is an invention without a future. And this turned out to be quite a prophetic statement. As soon as uh, cinema established itself as an entertainment medium, basically um, films were treated with a temporary shelf life. They played for a couple of weeks best uh, in a cinema and after that they had no purpose anymore. And this is basically has influenced the way film has been treated ever since it was created. The film the first film archives came a bit later. And so we have huge losses from the early period of cinema. And if we consider uh, contemporary digital filmmaking, we don't know what's going to survive in the future. So one of the biggest problems is uh, just 
getting the films themselves, particularly if, like me, you deal with sort of beyond the canon, um, less well-known films. Ah, beyond the canon. I would say that's quite good. How did you say in English um, a Stichwort? The keyword. A keyword, a perfect keyword for my next question, because um, I would like to ask you something about the current series you um, curated, a series of um, events or screenings with the title Fassungslos, an anderer Blick auf Filmklassiker. Uh, here again, I need your help. How, how to translate that title? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's not the first part of the title. Fassungslos is a wordplay in German, so it's not really translatable. Um, the word Fassungslos itself would be something akin to flabbergasted. The reason I picked it was because it, it contains the German word Fassung, which is the German word for version. The second part of the title, Ein anderer Blick auf Filmklassiker, is a, another look at film classics. And the idea of this film series was to screen six canonical films of German film history in versions that are less well known. Ah, and where is it screened at the moment? The screenings are all taking place here at Film Museum Potsdam. And um, now when the podcast is broadcasted, there are two more screenings, right, in January? That's right. Okay, what what films are shown and who is going... I mean, there are also introductions, so who is, uh, who's going to do the introductions? I, I know that there is also a small series of, of lectures accompanying the series of films at the Zentrum für uh, Medienwissenschaften, Center for Media Studies in Potsdam, right? That's right. So we've had uh, four screenings already so far. We started on the 9th of January with the screening of uh, The Twelfth Hour, Die Zwölfte Stunde, a 1930 re-release version of Murnau's Nosferatu. Um, we continued on the 11th with the screening of a 1960s West German re-release version of Dr. Mabuse, Der Spieler, Dr. Mabuse, The Gambler. Uh, on the 17th, we screened the famous Berg film, mountain film, uh, The White Hell of Pitts Palu in a 1935 talkie reissue with dialogue and everything. Um, and on the 18th, we had a screening of uh, Siegfried's Toad, Siegfried's Death, the so 1933 sound film reissue of the first part of Fritz Lang's Nibelungen. Uh, this was a particularly difficult case because we couldn't actually get a screenable print in Germany, so we had to digitize the film ourselves. And we have two more screenings coming up, uh, one on the 23rd of January, a... Um, a version of Cabinet des Dr. Caligari, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari that was prepared for East German TV uh, in the late 1970s. Um, that will be introduced by Olaf Brill, who um, um, a film historian and author from Bremen, who wrote um, perhaps the definitive study of uh, Caligari. And 2020 is the year in which we celebrate 100 years since Caligari was first screened. So... It was um, particularly important that we included this film, but again, fitting with our concept to not be the latest restored version or uh, the, the versions better well known today, but rather more obscure. Um, and we conclude our series the following day, the 24th of January, with a screening of the 1984 reissue of Metropolis with a disco soundtrack by Giorgio Moroder. And this screening will be introduced by Anke Wilkening, a former film restorer currently working on her PhD at the University of Utrecht, who was one of the three people who were responsible for the last restoration of Metropolis in 2010. 
And uh, you mentioned the lecture series. We've had two lectures so far, one already on the 9th with the opening of the series by uh, Richard Siedhof, a young composer and silent film accompanist from Weimar, who talked at length about the history of silent film accompaniment, um, both from a theoretical and practical point of view. And then on the 16th of January, we had Céline Rouivaud, a film archivist and restorer from Paris who has been working at the Cinémathèque Française since 2011 and is head of the Technical Commission of the International Federation of Film Archives, FIAF. And on the 23rd, just before the Caligari screening, Olaf Brill will give a lecture about his work reconstructing the original uh, shooting and release history of Caligari based on his book. That takes place, like you said, at the uh, Brandenburg Center for Media Studies in Potsdam. I would say that this series really fits perfectly into this podcast because, I mean, the title is Bling Bling. It's the, the association of diamonds or, or very worthy things to find in film studies. And I would say, wow, these are diamonds you found, right? These versions of the films. And was I can imagine that it was quite hard research work to find them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, on the one hand, the work is kind of can partly be Uh, carried out on paper. So first we had to establish which versions of the films we wanted to screen. If you think about a film like Metropolis, there's been about a gazillion versions since it was first released in 1927. And then after that, you go on the hunt for the screenable copies. It's one thing to know if a version exists. It's another thing to know if you can actually screen it in a cinema. As I already mentioned, we had particular problems with one title, Siegfried's Toad, um, where we had hoped to be able to rent a print that was held here at the Federal Film Archive, but it later turned out that the print, unfortunately, was slightly older and um, had shrunken over time so that it wasn't possible to run it through a projector anymore. So we actually had to digitize the film ourselves in order to be able to screen it. Uh, in the other cases, it's rare archival prints, some stemming from the time in which these versions appeared, so genuine 1960s or 1970s prints. I think the term diamonds or pearls is is really uh, quite relevant here. This is really a, a almost unique opportunity to see these particular versions of these films in the cinema, particularly because um, film heritage policies tend to prefer the latest restored version on the one hand because maybe this comes closer to how the film was originally meant to be seen and on the other hand because uh, institutions of course like to push their uh, their work. Besides your commitment to the organization of uh, such events you're also working as a researcher as a film historian here at the film university. Just my final question for you uh, what, are, what are you currently working on? Well, one project I'm working on at the moment is a reappraisal of the life and work of a completely unknown silent film actress and producer um, from Austria, Ellen Richter. We staged back in summer a academic workshop in Berlin with about 40 participants, which was a kind of first step towards rediscovering Richter within a small circle. And we're working towards um, a medium-sized retrospective to take place at the Poronone Silent Film Festival in October. That's one project I'm working on. Um, one of the bigger projects I'm meant to be working on but seem to have difficulty finding time for is a history of film preservation in the German-speaking territory from the 1920s to today. Wow. Yeah. 
So good luck with that. Yeah, Oliver. thanks. I'll need it. <laughs> um, Oliver, thank you very much for this uh, little chat and interview. Uh, maybe we meet at lunch today. We'll maybe. See. Yeah, and uh, go on with uh, all the interesting, have uh, another talk about all the interesting things you're doing and the series. Thank you very much. Thank you and good luck with the podcast. Thank you. If you want to know more, for instance, about the MA program Film Cultural Heritage, please check out the webpage of the Film University. In case you're interested in the film series we talked about, please visit the webpage of the Film Museum of Potsdam. Here's the news section. This month, the study Inclusion in the Director's Chair has been published. The report comes from the Annenberg Inclusion Initiative. The Annenberg Inclusion Initiative is a sort of think tank at the USC Annenberg School of Communication and Journalism, conducting research on diversity and inclusion in the entertainment industries. In their latest report, Stacey Smith and her team analyzed inter alia the prevalence of female directors working across 1,300 top fictional films theatrically released in the U.S. from 2007 to 2019. Their research involved gender as well as race slash ethnicity. To start with the good news of the report, the efforts to achieve greater equality in the film industry appear to have a positive impact. The percentage of female directors was significantly higher in 2019 than in both 2018 and 2007. But what does significantly higher mean? You can read in the report that a total of 113 directors were attached across the 100 top movies of 2019. A full 89.4% were male and 106 were female, compared with 2007 with 2.7 percent and 2018 with 4.5 percent, the percentage of 10.6 percent in 2019 can be interpreted as significantly higher. The report reveals that Universal Pictures had the highest number of female directors attached to the films they distributed, followed by Warner Brothers and Sony Pictures Entertainment. Here we are talking about 15 women, Universal, 13 women, Warner Brothers, and 11 women, Sony, who help films. The future will show whether this positive trend will be continued. It's obvious that there is still a lot to be done concerning equality. In the report, this stands out especially reading the text under the headline Women of Color Directors. Here you learn that, quote, only 13 women from underrepresented racial ethnic groups have directed any of the 1,300 top movies from 2007 to 2019. The ratio of white male directors to underrepresented female directors was 92 to 1. Yet this group of women represents 20% of the U.S. population, unquote. There are many more aspects in the report underlining that, despite the progress for some female directors in 2019, comprehensive efforts for equality in the film industry still need to be taken. Accordingly, the report ends with the following words, quote, To build upon this success in 2019 in the years ahead, individuals must continue to challenge the idea that leadership, particularly that embodied by film directors, fits a masculine profile. Expanding the notion of what a director can look like and how talent is judged will ensure that true and lasting change can be accomplished so that all women have access and opportunity to these jobs. Unquote. The report provides you with very helpful graphics, tables and figures. It can be found on the webpage of the USC Annenberg School of Communication and Journalism. Next chapter, Dear Diary. 
My research project deals with the image formation of so-called film cities as a discursive process. The project is sponsored for three years by the German Federal Ministry of Education and Research under the scheme Small Disciplines High Potential. If anyone should think that with such a sponsorship one can immediately start film studies research, they are mistaken. You have to conduct research, but at the very beginning it's more a sort of project management analysis thing. The project started on December the 1st, 2019, and since then I was challenged to understand and deal with administrative stuff in particular. The organizational requirements include applying for a student assistant, applying for web space for the project site, etc., etc. First of all, you have to find out how the whole third-party funding thing works when and how the funds are actually drawn down and what evidence you have to provide for the use of the funds. For me, this special kind of research didn't come along as a nuisance. On the contrary, I somehow enjoyed exploring the administrative aspects of the beginning of my actual research project. While in December I was still in a sort of ready-steady phase, so to speak, I'm now heading towards the go, hopefully. Thanks for listening. That was Film Studies Bling Bling. Please write an email if you have something you want to report on or if you have something that should be mentioned in the news section. This podcast is intended to make your treasures from film studies visible. I look forward to receive general feedback on the podcast as well. In the next episode, my bling of the month is Joanne Nolberger. We will talk about public history and film studies and her project Not Even Past. <laughs>